folks, this is Pastor Mike Hoggard coming to you from Watchman Studios with another Watchman video broadcast. In fact, it's another special edition of the Watchman video broadcast. We are coming to you reporting from our time spent in Cincinnati, Ohio-Covington, Kentucky. We were there at the Mutual UFO Network uh, Symposium, and they had all these speakers coming in, and they were giving out their various theories on what they thought UFOs might be, what they thought the, the inhabitants or the pilots, the people who are just along for the ride inside of these UFOs, what they are. And, and the, the topic for this year, uh, as you see up on the screen, was UFOs, friend or foe. Now, naturally, me being a and, and, and it's unusual that there, there really is no other uh, Protestant, you might say, in, in the sense that I'm not Catholic, uh, Baptist pastor that shows up at a UFO conference. I don't know why nobody's ever thought of it before. I don't know if other guys are afraid to take on this subject or not. But we've been going for the last three years. We've been handing out uh, hundreds, if not over a thousand or two uh, DVD packets. And uh, we've, had, we've had some pretty interesting feedback on that. When I say interesting, I'm saying in, that in the positive way, where people thought that they had a, a, a presupposed idea of what the Bible might say about UFOs. Basically, it's pretty much going to be limited to, you know, little bits and pieces out of the you know, book of Ezekiel chapter 1. And that's basically the extent of what most, pe- most people know about the Bible and its relation to uh, unknown aerial phenomenon or I wouldn't call them interplanetary species. I would call them what some people are catching on to now is interdimensional species. In other words... Uh, if I if I believe the Bible, and I do, the book of Psalms tells us as humans that God has made us a little lower than the angels. And what he means by that is that we are living in a three-dimensional world, this way, this way, this way, and that's all we can comprehend. However, the spirits that are all around us, they're all throughout the universe, they're everywhere, They live in a higher spatial dimension than we are. It's called the fourth dimension. That's what physics calls it. That's what the mathematicians call it. The Bible would refer to it maybe as as the realm in which the spirits dwell and live. Uh, The Bible calls it, and you'll have to look at some of my videos. You can find them on YouTube or sermonaudio.com slash Bethel that I've done on the fourth dimension. And you'll see very clearly that the Bible refers to that area as height. And so God is the most high God, and he sits above all of the other dimensions, including all the other dimensional beings. But anyway, people limit their knowledge of the Bible and UFOs to, you know, Ezekiel saw the wheel. And that's pretty much it. And then they, they think now they're Bible experts. And I don't want to get into all that again. All right? But anyway... Uh, we have been reporting on some of the things that not, not only the speakers have said, but some of the attendees 
have spoken about. The first video, of course, we dealt with a lady who was uh, Unitarian and how Unitarianism uh, seems to be, whether people call themselves a Unitarian or not, it seems to be the basic religious idea of the UFO movement. In other words, everybody comes into it with some form of spirituality. Everybody does. Because back in the late 40s, 50s, 60s, these things were understood or known uh, or investigated in such a way as that they were looking for them to be like nuts and bolts types machinery that was operated by advanced beings and so on. And these machines, these UFOs could do advanced things. But they were looking at them basically as mechanical objects. But as the times shifted in this country and around the world, then people started looking at them in a more spiritual way. And of course, with Christianity being on the decline simultaneously, you have interest in the paranormal, you have interest in uh, New Age um, cult thinking, you have interest in Eastern mysticism, and people are melding those ideas in with the UFO movement. So that now when people think of unidentified flying objects or unknown aerial phenomenon or the, uh, the inhabitants that are a part of that, they think of those more along the lines of uh, spiritual guides and spiritual entities rather than just meat and, meat and potatoes, I don't know, but anyway, flesh and blood type creatures which actually now, believe it or not, comes more along the lines of what the Bible has been saying all along about what these craft are, what their inhabitants are, what nature are they, what, what kind of, even this, what kind of species they are. Let me just run through this very quickly. We talked last time about the Nordic aliens, those that are blonde-haired, very, very straight hair, blue-eyed, look like they're from Scandinavia. They look like they're from Denmark or Sweden or one of the northern nations. And so they're called Nordic entities or Nordic aliens. And um, we, of course, we looked at that through the scriptures, through the eyes of the scriptures, seeing that there was a northern army that was coming to invade this world. And so I think there's a match to that. There's also what a lot of people report as uh, a draconian type uh, of alien or a reptilian uh, type of alien or whatever, where they look like, um, well, they look like reptiles, they look like snakes, they look like uh, dragons. They look like, uh, you know, alligator face or whatever. Their skin is reptilian in nature, and they have a reptilian uh, way about them. In other words, they are predators in most cases. Um, however, one lady that I watched a video of, um, she was impregnated by a reptilian ET, and she... She kind of likes the guy, and she likes her baby, even though she's not allowed to see it much. 
Okay, and that's just that's just way out there. And some would say, I see that, that Hogger, you're getting off on that stuff, and nobody believes, and, and that's not even possible. If these things are angels, it's not even possible that they could have babies and, and so on and so on. Yeah, but, you know, there was that whole Genesis 6 thing, the sons of God, the daughters of men. And the sons of God consistently in the Old Testament were angels. They were angels in the book of Job. I think they mentioned them like four or five times in the book of Job. Clearly, they were angels. Psalm 82 uh, is when David said, I have said, ye are gods, and all of ye are children of the Most High. That's sons of God. And God said they were gods. And so anyway, yeah, but and you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. And so clearly, clearly, these things, when they come down, God causes them, forces them to crash and they die like the rest of us. But anyway, moving right along. This week, we're going to look at something, and I've been following this guy for uh, a few years now. Uh, he's got a couple of books out. I've read both of them. And um, I was absolutely, um, I was pretty amazed that what he was saying in his books and in his the various talks that he gave, and he gave a talk at MUFON this year, and I really didn't hear anything different from him uh, this year that I've heard him say on at other talks, uh, videos that he's done that he's done uh, on uh, YouTube and so on, and so I kind of know where he's coming from, and uh, he's got some very very interesting ideas that I can take you right to the pages of this Bible and say, this is like what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. This is that which was spoken by the prophets. And we're going to get to that uh, in just a few minutes. However, I want to start out with a little bit of a lesson on Bible interpretation. Now, I know everybody's got their ideas about interpreting scriptures, and uh, some people's, the way they interpret scriptures is way out there, almost denying the scriptures themselves. Uh, some people's interpretation of scriptures is so tight and so um, rigid that when they see that, you know, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy they would almost pretty much say that only Timothy should be aware of its contents and follow its doctrines. Because obviously it was written to Timothy, and it wasn't written to us, and so we don't have to follow any of that. And there are people out there who take some, at least a majority of the Bible, like the book of Hebrews, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, uh, Jude, James, the four Gospels, the entire Old Testament, and they would say, well, that was written, uh, that was written to the Jews, uh, and, and, and it's not really for us. Well, that's ridiculous. Because we know that Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the two letters that we have, he sent to the Corinthian churches, well, we know that they apply to the entire church world, world over. We know that the letters he wrote to Timothy apply all the way around the world for all ages of Christianity. 
Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever. As Paul is writing these things out by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, they are intended for all of us. And so you have the two ends of Bible interpretation. But then you have those that, out of fairness, even though I may not agree with them on everything, they, they choose to interpret the Bible by way of the Bible. Let me, let me tell you where I'm going with this. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, and then down on verse 19. This is the parable that Jesus taught. And uh, one of the things that I've realized is that the parables are basically a, a way that Christ is teaching us uh, some very complex doctrines by way of things that you and I would, would see every day. In other words, the, um, what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15 to show us the doctrine of the resurrection, how that what's buried into the ground doesn't look like what's going to come up out of the ground. We take a seed, we put it in the ground, it's a tomato seed, and yet what comes up out of the ground is not just another tomato seed. It's this vine and all these beautiful red uh, tomatoes on there, and so on. And here Jesus, in Matthew, especially Matthew 13, he's teaching a lot about seed. We have the parable of the seed and the sower. We have the parable of the wheat and the tares. We have other parables where Jesus is, is referencing seed or leaven or anything like that. And in this case, he's going to teach us something about how when the Bible says one thing, it means that one thing, but it also means something else. And the Bible always then tells you what the interpretation is. In other words, God knows that we would fight, we would argue, we would almost come to fisticuffs over whose interpretation is the best interpretation. And I just kind of think if we stick with what God's saying and stick with God's interpretation, number one, there's no fighting over it. Uh, because it's not our interpretation. It belongs to God. Let me show you what I mean here. In Matthew chapter 13, this is the parable of the seed and the sower. And we know what happens. He throws some of the seed out by the wayside. He throws some of the seed among stony ground, some among thorny ground, and some among good ground. But notice a little detail that he says here. In Matthew 13, verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he had sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and notice this, the fowls came and devoured them up. Now I have fowls underlined. Now we're going to find out the interpretation, Christ's interpretation of this, not ours, not the disciples. This is what Jesus said about what the fowls of the air were. He tells us that the, the seed is the word of God. We get that. And so we understand what the thorns are. We understand what the stony ground is. We understand what the good ground is. What are these fowls of the air? Okay. Now he's going to explain it in verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one. And catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. So Jesus here just associated something. Fowls of the air with the wicked one. We know who that is. We know that it's Satan. Okay? And 
you know, if you kind of think about the uh, analogy of it, is Satan like a fowl of the air? Well, we know that Satan is a serpent. We know that he's the devil. We know that he's the dragon. And we've already mentioned that he's a serpent. But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have fiery, flying serpents. So, the fowl of the air, or fowls of the air, will represent Satan or a satanic host of evil angels in the form of flying serpents or flying dragons or, or any kind of creature that flies through the air. Remember, some angels... A lot of them, I would say, but not all. But some angels have wings. Okay? So God is saying to you, whenever you see a story in the Bible, think birds. And when you see birds, think of spirits. When the Holy Spirit descended down upon Jesus, a dove, right? Okay? Now, Here's a second witness to it. It's the the parallel verse to this in the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 4, verse 4, And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. So we have the same story, same idea, same language. The fowls of the air came and devoured up the word of God, the seed that was there. Down in verse 15 of the same chapter, Jesus then gives us the interpretation, but he uses a little bit different words. He says, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So again, fowls of the air, evil, evil devils, okay, evil angels, fallen angels, you want to call them that. Uh, some people would say demons. That's not really in the Bible, but it's, I get what it means, and it's not a bad idea, okay? But bottom line is, you have all these fowls of the air that come down, and they, and they eat up the Word of God. Why? Because they don't want anybody else to have it. They steal it away from people. It's like when you give a tract to somebody, or, or you... Uh, lay a track out for somebody to read and somebody picks it up and throws it down. I ain't reading that garbage. Somebody else picks it up and reads it and gets saved. The person who picked it up the first time and read it and threw it away, they've got devils that are telling them, don't read that stuff. That's garbage. That's that religious nut stuff that you've been running from all your life. Keep running. And yet somebody else comes along and reads it and says, you know what? I want to give my life to the Lord. Okay. So anyway, we have an interpretation here, and, we're, and actually, we're going to use it now to interpret something out of the book of Revelation. So the fowls of the air, they represent evil angels, devils, unclean spirits, things like that. So let's read Revelation chapter 18. It's a description of Babylon the Great. In fact, we're going to deal with her quite a bit today. Uh, in Revelation 18, after these things, verse 1, I came down, uh, after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. 
I always liked the fact that he said it twice. And he's become, here it is, Babylon is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Bird. Now, is it really just a bird cage? By the way, there was a, a, a Broadway play, musical, called The Bird Cage, or in French it was La Cage au Fowl. Pardon my French. But anyway, um, the, uh, the theater in Tombstone, Arizona, where Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and the OK Corral and everything like that, the theater that was there in Tombstone was called the Birdcage Theater. Okay? And let's just say that some of the uh, theatrics that went on uh, in that place were not quite, you know, rated G for kids. All right? Uh, but anyway, you get the point here. God is saying that wherever Babylon is, some people have Babylon limited to the Catholic Church. Well, there's no doubt that the Catholic Church qualifies here and that they definitely are a cage and a hold of all kinds of evil spirits. Uh, some people say that it's America, Washington, D.C. There's no doubt in my mind that the Capitol building, Capitol Hill they call it, it's on a high place, the White House, the Pentagon, that these places are the cage of unclean birds, meaning spirits. But basically, Babylon is anywhere where these spirits, it's kind of like homing pigeons, they all know when to come back to home, and they always seem to know where home is, and so they come right back into their cage because that's the way God made them. And so there's no doubt in my mind that Babylon represents any kind of place where God has been kicked out, the Word of God has been kicked out, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit has been uh, kicked out, and they're no longer welcome there. And in order to fill the void, here comes every form of unclean, hateful bird, evil spirits, devils, all kinds of evil, bad things. you got the serpents there, the drake. The Draconians, you got the Nordics, you got the Greys. We're going to talk about them today. You got all of them there. Okay, so now, just to lay that foundation for you today, to get into the subject matter du jour of what we're really going to talk about. And as soon as I saw this guy's name on the list of speakers, uh, for MUFON this year up in Cincinnati, I went, yeah, I got to go. I'm going to go listen to this guy. Now, again, he didn't really say anything that I haven't already heard, and I have uh, two of his books. His name is Mike Cleland, and I call him the owl guy, and I'm, I think he mentioned the fact that you know, whenever he goes and, you know, is going to talk someplace and people ask him, well, who are you? And he says, I'm the owl guy. All right. Because that's what he's known for. He had an encounter. 
years ago where he took a woman out camping. They weren't married. And see, he can say that now. He can say that in this world right now that him and his girlfriend went out camping and they weren't married. And we, you know, we know what happens at night. But nobody says a word. It's like fornication really isn't wrong anymore. Okay? But he says he wakes up in the middle of the night and he goes outside of his tent and he's looking around and he sees these two big eyes staring at him. And it's this humongous owl. And he's pondering this. And, th- and from this point forward now, he's investigating owls. But not just, you know, a, a scientific survey of what owls are. He's looking at, and since we've already, the scriptures already laid out for us that birds in the Bible represent spirits. In some cases, they are spirits. That when Mike sees these owls, and they're seemingly three to four feet tall, bigger than any other owl he's seen, and their eyes are just fixed on him, and he has this very spiritual experience with these owls, even though there's no no message contact, nothing, you know, no radar going back and forth between them. He decides then to devote his life and his research and his time into studying these owls, which led to these two books. Both of them, now get this, referred to the owls as messengers. The first book, Messengers, Owl Synchronicity and the UFO Abductee. And then he says... um, the companion to the to the uh, messenger stories from the messengers accounts of owls ufo's and a deeper reality and like i said i have both of these books i've read i'm pretty sure i've read most of both of them if I, if not i've read through both of them enough to where i know and get the gist of what he's saying he gives a lot of stories a lot of detailed accounts and so on and i found some actual message boards Uh, where people talk about this and they talk about how when they have uh, an ET encounter, generally now, I'm going to go ahead and lay this out, generally when they have an ET encounter of these gray aliens, in many cases there is an owl there. Uh, usually before the encounter. And the owl, it seems like, is there as sort of a sign from the aliens, get ready to the humans because you're fixing to be seen by us. And we all know from the different stories about these gray aliens that when the gray aliens get involved, there's going to be probes and needles and stuff stuck into your skin and stuff extracted from places that you didn't want stuff extracted from those places. Okay? But they're usually, and, I, and basically I found out through his research, that a large amount, a large number of people who have claimed to have been abducted 
had an owl sighting shortly before or right before their abduction or let's see what's the new accepted word now um, their contact with these extraterrestrial or other dimensional beings remember we're going to do this again aliens equals angels of the evil kind okay so you don't have any so you don't misinterpret what i'm saying and you don't say uh yeah mike hoggard he's flew the coop on christianity pun intended uh he's flown the coop he's nuts he's gone off the deep end you can't trust him anymore because you don't believe the bible anymore yeah aliens equals evil angels all right so we're on the same page i believe we are now this is uh, some, some snippets from his book, The Messengers. And, and by the way, let me stop here. And let me go back to this. Do you know what the Greek word for messenger is? Angelos. It's where we get the word angel from. Okay? That's what it is. Anyway, he talks about owl and animal symbolism. The owl is sacred to the Greek goddess of learning, and Athena, and is even depicted on some Greco-Roman currency as a symbol of status, intelligence, and, of course, wealth. In ancient Egyptian, Celtic, and Hindu cultures, the symbolic meaning of the owl revolved around guardianship of the underworlds and a protection of the dead. In this light, the owl was ruler of the night and seer of souls. A misunderstanding of this necessary relationship gave the owl some negative associations with death. It should be clear that the owl was honored as the keeper of spirits who had passed from one plane to another. Often myth indicates the owl accompanying a spirit to the underworld, winging its newly freed soul from the physical world into the realm of spirit. So, let me just kind of stop right here for a minute. You can clearly see that the ancient legends of the owl was that it was the keeper of the spirits, those who had passed from this world to the next world who had died. So they are associated with death. So Babylon is a cage and a hold of owls. They are associated with death. They're the ones supposedly who are going to lead your spirit, I guess, down to the underworld, which they always thought, you know, hey, the underworld's a cool place. You know, it's got all kinds of neat stuff in it and everything like that. But no one really wanted to understand that the underworld basically was weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a shame. Here's a quick list, again, from Mike Clellan's book on the symbolic meaning of owls. Notice that you have a... Uh, uh, a, a Greco-Roman owl there on the left. You have an Egyptian owl on the right. And some of their meanings were related to wisdom. You know, they talk about the wise old owl. 
mystery, as in Mystery Babylon. In other words, there's a mystery behind them that man is not meant to understand yet, or maybe ever. Transition, messages, intelligence, mysticism, protections, secrets. The Native Americans associated the meaning of owl with wisdom, foresight, and keeper of sacred knowledge. This uh, may largely be due to the fact that the owl is a great foreteller of weather conditions. Also, its ability to see at night is legend among the Native Americans, and this attribute would be invoked during ceremonies when an oracle of secret knowledge was required. So we see now, uh, and Mike's really done his work, to show that owls weren't just seen as superior birds. They were seen as spirit entities that had a mastery and a control of the afterlife that they were there to guide people through or guide people through the initiations necessary to pass all the tests to determine whether or not a person would have to go down into uh, a very evil, dark place of hell and pay some kind of punishment down there, or whether a person uh, could escape all of that because of their good deeds or their heroic deeds. You see, it's all about how much work you do. And if you do good works and you win a lot of battles and you just happen to get killed in a battle, then the owls will decide whether or not you have to spend some time uh, weeping and gnashing your teeth and in you know dishonor and shame, or are they going to let you go to a place? They're sort of like the Valkyries. The Valkyries were these spirits that were always at battlefields, and they determined uh, which soldiers were the most brave soldiers, and if it was meant for them to die, then these particular soldiers would always suffer a very quick death. In other words, they would just get thrust through, they would get, you know, spearded, or they would get a sword jabbed in them, and they would die rather quickly, and that was sort of like a mercy to them, and then they were carried into the, the, uh, the other world, I guess, where they were held in honor by all the gods, and they were given this heavenly mead, which is like an alcoholic beverage, and they could get drunk for all of eternity. Anyway, so that was their idea about it. But basically, owls were a, a very, very important symbol back in ages gone by. So now we, we bring that up now to the 20th and 21st centuries. And maybe you've not encountered this, but I have. I came across sort of, I guess, accidentally, but there's no accidents. I came along with a, a book by Chris Bledsoe who maintains that he is a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, and yet he believes that the aliens and their workings here on this earth are beneficial to mankind, and mankind, um, it's going to better mankind once they take control. And so Chris Bledsoe, uh, throughout his life, would see these owls. In fact, the, really the first time that he had any kind of encounter with 
an ET or an alien. It was first he saw this giant owl. Okay, you have artists like um, Whitley Strieber. Strieber. And Whitley Strieber is Mister UFO. He's written several books. The main one, of course, is called Communion. And Strieber believes that he was more or less baptized and initiated into the way of thinking of these ETs. So much so that when his wife passed from him, died, I think of a brain, uh, brain cancer, that he followed her to the beyond to a certain place and his wife said uh, Witty you can't go any farther than this you have to stop here and I'll go on by myself so that I mean that's the kind of people that we're dealing with we're not just dealing with people who believe that there are, are you know advanced rockets and guys in spacesuits that drive them around really cool we're talking about an army of creatures that have an agenda here in this world. It's an agenda that has been endorsed by God. And why would it be endorsed by God? It's a form of punishment. Whitley Strieber, as I mentioned, uh, wrote this groundbreaking book, sold I don't know how many copies, but basically the name of the book and the picture that he had on the book is what really caught people's attention. Because a lot of people who had been abducted, as soon as they saw that picture, they went, oh, that's what I saw. So they would buy the book. Here's what Strieber said. In Strieber's groundbreaking book, he describes his memories of seeing owls as cover memories for what in reality were encounters with the gray aliens whose eyes were notably abnormally large and unblinking. So, Strieber himself equated the owl face with the face, the elongated, huge-eyed face of these gray aliens that were abducting him. One, the one that's on the picture here, uh, is the one that um, mated with him several times. Here's how Whitley des described this encounter. He said, I awoke the morning of the 27th very much as usual, but grappling with a distinct sense of unease and a very improbable but intense memory of seeing a barn owl staring at me through the window sometime during the night. I remember how I felt in the gathering evening of the 27th and when I looked out into the roof and saw that there were no owl tracks in the snow. I knew I had not seen an owl. I shuddered, suddenly cold, and drew back from the window, withdrawing from the night that was falling so swiftly in the woods beyond. So he believed at that time that he saw what amounted to what he referred to as the harbinger of some sort of uh, E.T. takeover. In other words, he would see this owl thing, and then later on that night, 
here they come. They would come and they would put him under their control by giving him some kind of sedative or something. Then they would take him up to the ship and do all kinds of things and then wipe his memory and send him back down to the earth. But he kept having all these, all of these dreams about owls. You know, this is not the first time that I've talked about this. It's been a while, but it's not the first time I've talked about owls in the spiritual sense. And I've had people come to our church that uh, wanted to be baptized. And I remember one lady, she said that before she got saved, she said owls were an infatuation with her. She just wanted owls and then she would go to Hobby Lobby and just buy owls and owls and owls and anything owl related, she would buy it to decorate her house. And she saw one of one of my videos that I did about owls. She went through. She got practically everything that she could find in her house that had owls in it and took it out to the backyard and had a bonfire and burned every one of them. Now, I didn't tell her to do that, but that is what she did. She decided that if there was even the possibility that those things had control over her or some amount of influence, she didn't want it. Amen. Amen. Now, there's a book. Let me skip ahead and show you the, the cover picture of it. That's Da Vinci's drawing of... Jesus Christ. And so the title of the book is UFO of God. The clear intentional meaning behind it is that the UFO creatures are themselves the Son of God. Not sons of of God, because that would be true. But the Son of God. Man's name is Chris Bledsoe. He started out in his young life going to church. He was in the Bible Belt, going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, hearing about Jesus, learning about Jesus, watching Flannel Graph. I miss Flannel Graph. And uh, would go to bed at night with these stories about Jesus in his head. Then, as he grew, he started seeing different things. Not just imagining them and not just daydreaming about them. He started seeing different things. And what they were was, they were owls that were making appearances to him. And he soon figured out that what the owl was doing in presenting itself was that it was preparing others of the pending presence of these gray aliens. So he says this in his book, UFO of God. I waited a long while outside for her to show up. And let me stop right and give the 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 gist of where he's at. He's at a, uh, I think, a church function. And his mom said, okay, I'm going to pick you up at such and such time. And he says, okay, mom, I'll be there. And so he goes out there, and I think he's probably a little early or whatever. 
But he says, I waited a long while outside for her to show up, stargazing. The familiar sound of her baby blue Chevelle slowly rose in the night air. When her head, uh, when her headlights started to crest the horizon, I suddenly locked eyes with an owl two feet from before my face. It was massive, uh, eyes as big as saucers. I was entranced and not at all frightened. As the car slowly illuminated us, neither of us looked away. I didn't know how long it had been there watching me. When I got into the car and told mother, she said she saw me under the tree, but no owl. This, of course, is from his book, um, The UFO of God. Here's another excerpt from it. Uh, We came to a place in the country road where the trees encroached up to either side of the road, their branches hanging over the pavement. In the cold gray light, raindrops speckling the windshield, and we saw a great white owl perched over the middle of the road from its positioning as well as its disregard for the rain. It had the unmistakable attitude of a guardian that had been awaiting our funeral procession. That sounds weird. It was speckled white and brown like a barn owl, but its dark eyes must have been the size of baseballs. We passed under the bird just 15 feet below it. We couldn't help but have the this, this sense that it was a message indicating that my father was okay. The same bird that had appeared before I got shot and before the chair in my study was struck by lightning was the same one watching over us. Now, though, the danger had passed and some natural protective force kept its appointment with us. As with most of the phenomenon, a clear meaning and emotion was somehow communicated to all of us. These forces were vigilant and abiding. They might not save us from everything, but there is no doubt in my mind that they have compassion for all life. You see, now Chris believes, and let me just tell you a little bit about him. He went from being a Southern Baptist when he was young, because that's what his family went, uh, went to. When he got married, his wife talked him into joining the um, Pentecostal Holiness Church that her church was a part of. And so he did, working his way up to being a deacon, uh, probably a catcher, if you don't know what that is, guys with blankets are catching ladies as they fall so they can cover them up with blankets so they'll be modest while they look silly laying on the ground. But anyway, um, but he's getting all this Bible teaching and it's not jiving with what he's seeing as far as the UFO movement, as far as the, the things that... Um, And I will say God is allowing him to see these things, but not for his future salvation. I think that the older that Bledsoe gets and the more deeply grounded he gets into these ideas and these stories, and he's even got top NASA officials telling him that they think he is very, very important when it comes to down to 
the idea of disclosing to the American people what the United States government knows about UFOs. So obviously the guy is of some importance in the UFO realm. And I think one of these days, when disclosure comes, I think Chris Bledsoe is going to be the one who's going to be able to share some of the things that he has both seen and heard. Okay? Just, just a guess of mine, but that's what I think is happening. So he has several occurrences with these large owls. In some cases, these owls seem to be able to pass on messages. In other cases, they just seem to be harbingers or like a sign of something uh, much more critical that is about to happen. All right, now here's one thing that Mike Clellan has brought out before that I had noticed several years ago when I was doing a, um, and you can find this on YouTube, it's a sort of an expanded version of some of the things that I'm telling you now. It's called Where Dragons Live. And um, I had noticed that the, um, the owls have somewhat of a resemblance to what we would refer to as gray aliens. Here's what, here's what Mike Clellan said in his book, The Messengers. Researchers of the alien abduction phenomenon will point out that owls have an eerie likeness to the commonly reported gray alien. Both have penetrating oversized eyes. and Some have suggested that this is why UFO occupants are choosing the owl as one of their screen memories. The implication is that these aliens are using a psychic projection that is similar to themselves, an owl image that overlays their own presence. So <clears throat> basically what uh, Cleland is saying is, is that when the aliens appear to people, and we know that in uh, most abduction cases, um, the, the aliens or the angels... Uh, they sort of wipe out temporarily the, the human uh, memory of the event that took place. And so Clellan and other researchers say that whenever the aliens do their wiping, if there's going to be any remembrance of what happened, then the people simply are going to remember them as like owls, that they had a dream about owls, or they were walking in the field and saw owls, or owls took them up on a bus ride, or, you know, anything like that. Now, that could be true. However, I, I have a theory, and I can't prove it to be a fact. I've never seen... Face to face, a gray alien. Of, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think I've ever really seen an owl up close. But I ask the question: Couldn't it be true that when the Bible is referring to these owls, and we'll see in a little bit, that it is actually referring to this? species of evil angels that we would refer to as 
the gray aliens. In fact, let me let me do a little side by side here. Here's here's a picture of on one side you have the image of gray aliens, on the other side you have the image of gray aliens. On one side you have the image of owls, on the other side you have the image of owls. Take a look at it. Now that's pretty creepy. But you can see the similarities between the two. And so the question that I'm asking, I'm not saying this is thus saith the Lord. The question I'm asking is, is the Bible, when it's referring to, since the idea of aliens from other planets never really came into the mind of, you know, the, the Bible writers like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, David, Moses, and others. <clears throat> Why not God tell us that these, remember, because we learned earlier that birds basically in the Bible represent angels. In this case, why not it be true that God is referring to these gray aliens by calling them owls? One of the things that we find out from scriptures is that the owls are on a on the no-no list. They're on the list of birds that God said you can't eat. Now thank God chicken is not on that list. Thank God. Okay? But here's here's what God said. Leviticus 11:13. This is the law. And these are they which ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. Now let me stop here. Anything that is it, I mean, it's not just that God says they're dirty animals, don't eat them, because they, they eat worms and stuff like that. That's gross. That's not what God's saying. God is saying that, that these birds are an abomination. And remember what we found out from uh, the parable of the seed and the sower, that when God is talking about the fowls of the earth, the fowls of the air, He's referring also to the spirit realm, okay? Especially the evil side of that. So let's read this. And these are they which ye shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the ossifrage, and the osprey, and the vulture. I mean, notice that all of these birds are flesh-eating birds. Usually, in some cases, the flesh is... That's pretty pretty stanky, okay? And it's got maggots on it. And a lot of these, like vultures, stuff like that, they don't have a problem in the world picking out the maggots, all right? Uh, the eagle, the ossifrage, the osprey, and the vulture, and the kite after his kind, every raven after his kind, and here we go, and the owl, and the nighthawk, and the cuckoo, the cuckoo bird, and the hawk after his kind. And here he is, the little owl, and the cormorant, and the great owl. So here he mentions like three types of owls. We have the owl, we have the little owl, we have the great owl, and these are in a list of birds that God called an abomination. Okay? Now, in reference to um, a teaching I did several years ago, and what I did was uh, it just... I kept reading about dragons in the Bible, so I thought, you know, I want to do a study of, 
of dragons in the Bible, what God says about them. I just felt like there was some, some significant thing there. And, and I was right. It turns out I was right. It was a very, very informative um, teaching that God was giving me first in that we know that dragons are uh, representative of evil spirits. You have the fiery flying serpents, you have dragons, um, basically the reptilian uh, type of creatures. Those things in the spirit world are, are pretty much almost always evil. And, um, and, of course, you know, we have the image of Satan himself being a dragon. He is the serpent, the dragon, and uh, so on and so on. And so I noticed that in several places in the Bible, God defines where those dragons like to live. You remember what Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. He didn't say it the other way around. Okay, He said that foxes have holes, birds have nests. And so he's telling you that these animals, in their nature, like to live in certain places. Incidentally, when God mentions dragons and where they like to live, the first place that God mentions they like to live is in uh, any place where there is the shadow of death. So do you think, and I believe this, do you think that if you go to a cemetery at night, that it's very possible you could experience some sort of poltergeist activity. In other words, do you think that there are really uh, spirit beings, evil spirit beings, that love to hang out where all these dead people are? I believe it. We have the story of the, uh, the man who had the legion of devils. Where did he choose to live? In, in the tombs, in the catacombs. He lived around where all the dead people were. That was because of the spirits that were in him. That was where they liked to live. And so I took that and, and I sort of extrapolated that and into a person's life or a family or a church. Any church that's dead, there's going to be dragons living there. There's going to be evil spirits there. Any church not alive in Christ, any family not alive in Christ, any person who is not alive in Christ, who's dead in trespasses and sins, well, guess what? They're going to have dragons that are with them all the time because that's their nature. That's where they like living. I also found out that dragons will live in a house, a palace, any kind of building where... Uh, where man wasn't. So if, if man has left, uh, well, we know this, that old buildings that are still around, you know, like old, old houses or maybe old churches or whatever that are, that are laying around and there's no occupant there, what happens after a few years? All these critters move in. Well, in the spiritual realm, let's say that you have, uh, like I say, a church that's dead or you have a church, watch this, where they have removed the man. You see, spirits aren't afraid of human beings, and they don't, they don't worry about their presence. But if those human beings have in them and with them the living Jesus Christ, then you won't find dragons 
within a hundred miles of that person or that church, okay? And I'm going to read you some of those places in the Bible. Likewise, the place that you find dragons, like evil spirits, you're also going to find owls. So any place, in fact, this verse here, Jeremiah chapter 50, is actually going to tell us that wherever there's a place where the Son of Man doesn't live, doesn't dwell, doesn't inhabit, the owls are going to be there. Think about it. Jeremiah 50 verse 38. A drought is upon her waters. Think about a drought. It's a drought of the Word of God. And they shall be dried up, for it is the land of graven images. There we go. There's another clue. And they are mad upon their idols. In other words, their idols make them crazy. They can't see straight. They can't see that idol worshiping is wrong. Okay? It is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. Therefore, the wild beasts of the desert with the wild beasts of the island shall dwell there. And here it is. The owls shall dwell therein, and it shall be no more inhabited forever. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Notice now, he's going to bring in Sodom and Gomorrah in this thing, because nobody lives where Sodom and Gomorrah was. No one does. They've never lived there. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, saith the Lord, so shall no man abide there, neither shall, read it, any son of man dwell therein. Now, we know that that phrase, Son of Man, could be applied to any human born. But in particularly, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So, when the Son of Man, Jesus, does not abide in a place, doesn't live in a place like a home, or an individual's life, or a church, or a religious denomination, or a religious hierarchy or some ministry or in our government or wherever, when, when they kick Jesus out, when they kick the Word of God out, and there are plenty of churches that have abandoned the Son of Man in the form of the Word of God, when they kick out the Son of Man, guess what moves in? Dragons, serpents, and the owls, these evil spirits. So, think about it. If these owls represent these evil angels that we refer to as the gray aliens, what is that telling you? That, and here's what I think we're seeing. I think it with the decline of Bible-believing Christianity in America, we're seeing a rise in the amount of uh, occurrences where people are seeing UFOs and aliens. Uh, Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13 is one of those dragon verses. I mean, this is... I picked up on this, and buddy, I'm telling you what, it, it literally... I won't say it changed my life, but in a way it did. I started seeing things clearer 
that in my life, when there's an absence of the Word of God, there is, there's going to be creatures that move in. And they're not good. Okay? They're not friendly creatures. Oh, I, I, oh I'm going to pet my little owl today and my pet dragon. and Uh-uh. No, sir, they're not good. And the only way to get rid of them is to bring the Son of Man back into your life. Remember when, when uh, Satan tried to tempt Jesus? He tried everything. He, he pulled out his, his three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And when Jesus wouldn't go for it, the, the Bible says the devil departed from him for a season. What is it the Bible says? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so when the word of God abides in your life or it abides in your home or if it's abiding in your church, the church that you go to, if your church is, is full of everything except the word of God, I guarantee you bitterns and cormorants and owls and dragons will live there. And all of those are types of evil spirits. Isaiah 13, it's a prophecy of Babylon. Notice what it says in verse 19, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pinch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there. Notice this, the shepherds shall not make their fold there. The shepherds, pastors, the folds, the churches, they're gone. Or at least the ones that are still holding on to the word of truth. Verse 21, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there and their houses, notice this, their houses shall be full of doleful creatures and owls shall dwell there and satyrs shall dance there. A satyr is, let me give this to you. Some say it's like half human here, and then the other half is like a horse or a, a goat of some kind, right? Well, I agree with the part where it is like a, a part human and a part beast. But in any kind of hybrid creature, or even someone who is biracial, they're not like this half white and this half black or this side white and this side black. It doesn't happen that way. It's a mixture of the two. I think satires here are a reference to a very large, hairy, human-like creature that walks upright on two legs, has facial features and eyes of a human, but the rest of the body is a beast. Can you figure out what I'm talking about? I think there's a spiritual aspect to those. Owls shall dwell there and satyrs shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the islands shall cry in their desolate houses and dragons in their pleasant palaces. And her time is near to come and her days shall not be prolonged. And Isaiah 34, almost the identical thing. It's another prophecy against Babylon. Here's what they say. But the cormorant and the bittern, like, that's like a tern, an animal, a, a bird, shall possess it. The owl, 
also and the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. In other words, where they live is going to be confusion. It's going to be a a church or a family where there's emptiness. There's nothing there. Hmm. Verse 12, they shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there. And all her princes shall be nothing. And thorns shall come up in her palaces. What are are thorns representative of? Sin, the curse of sin. Nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof. And it shall be an habitation of dragons and a court for owls. See, there it is. God put them together again. Where the dragons are, okay, so let's say in the UFO movement. I've read enough to know that the UFO people usually characterize the the aliens in three ways. Either they are the tall whites, the Nordic ones, or they're the reptilians or the draconians or the, the, uh, the grays, the owls. And here... We have the reptilians, the dragons, the draconians, and the owls, the greys, mentioned together. So where you find one, you're going to find the other. Um, Verse 14, the wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island. And here it is. Here's the satyrs again. Shall cry to his fellow. And you know what they're called? You know what uh, Sasquatches are called in uh, Australia? Yowies. Why? Because of the high-pitched call that they call out to one another. And look at that. The satyr shall cry to his fellow. And there are recordings on YouTube and online in different places of what they think are Bigfoot Sasquatches calling to one another throughout the forest. Mm. This Bible is amazing, isn't it? Um, the screech owl also shall rest there and find herself a place of rest. And there shall be the great owl. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. So we got vultures. We've got screech owls. We've got owls and dragons. We've got satyrs. We've got all of these creatures gathering together, and we know they're real, and we know now that they are spirits. And they're gathering there together because the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has left. He's no longer there. He's not been invited. He's not welcome. It's like, it's like where Jesus went, and he tried to minister there, but he came back. He left. Because he could do no great miracle there for their unbelief. In other words, they just they didn't believe in him. They didn't care about him. They didn't want to believe in him. So basically he left and couldn't do anything there because they didn't believe in him. And so what do you think was there to fill the spot that these people had? The owls, the dragons, the satyrs, the terns, all these different creatures, especially the ones that fly, okay? And they have a prince over them who is the prince of the power of the air. You have owl sightings in different places around the world. Here in uh, Cornwall, England, 
Cornish folklore, the owl man, sometimes referred to as the Cornish, Cornish owl man. And the owl man of uh, Monin is an owl-like creature said to have been seen around mid-1976 in the village of Monin, Cornwall, UK. The owl man is sometimes compared to the Mothman. However, a Eurasian eagle owl is likely the source of the legend. No, I think that they are seeing a spirit there that has, if, if, when I look at Ezekiel chapter 1, you see these pictures here of these, like, they have two legs like humans, they stand up like a human, and yet they have wings like a bird. Hmm, is that far-fetched? Is that something that is totally in the realm of make-believe? No, because when I look in Ezekiel chapter 1 and I see the four cherubs that uh, make up the, uh, the uh, chariot of God, I see four living creatures. Their appearance, had the, they, their appearance was the likeness of a man. That means they were humanoid in their appearance. They had the body, the, the hands, arms, and legs of a human, but they had four wings like, like a bird or like angels. That's, that was the good angels that made up God's chariot. And here I think you have evil angels that bear the image of an owl and they have two legs and so on and so on. To, to me, this stuff is easy. Um, I witness drawings of different sightings around the world, especially around the country. You have uh, different, um, different cultures have different ideas of this. This is called the Lakuza a legendary witch that can transform itself into a large owl-like being. In most accounts, the face of transformed being remains as that of the witch. The supposed winged being is said to swoop down and attack its victims as well as loudly screeching, similar to the sound made by a banshee. Here you have what, what I like to refer to as the anti-Bethel church. I pastor Bethel Church, Festus, Missouri. There is the anti-Bethel church in Redding, California. And people, that church is crazy. They do some weird, bad occult things. And here's one of the themes that they use. February 29th through March 2nd, 2012, Bethel Redding has piercing the darkness prophetic conference. And notice the owl is their symbol. What does that tell you? that the owl being present is because the Son of Man is not present. I have not seen the Harry Potter movies. I've not read the book. But according to what I found out, Harry Potter has as his favorite pet an owl. And do you know what this owl does? He delivers the mail. He is a messenger. The word messenger in Greek is angelos, angel. An angelic being in the form of an owl is Harry Potter's messenger. How about this one? Surely if you've studied anything in the realm of like conspiracy theories and things like that, You've heard of the Bohemian Club out in California that owns, uh, I think it's like 1,200 acres of beautiful wooded forest. 
called the Bohemian Grove. And for two weeks, all the big names in business and banking and politics, they meet out there. I don't care much for Alex Jones at all. But one thing I think he did well was able to sneak cameras in and record them having all of these business and political people. There's pictures of Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon and George Papa Bush there at the Bohemian Club and others. And usually at the end of the two weeks, they have a ritual where these guys put on these druid hoods and and robes and they burn effigies in sacrifice to this great big owl god that they serve down there. That's Listen, when Jesus isn't around, the owl will be. Okay? The image of the uh, Bavarian Illuminati. The Bavarian Illuminati was formed May 1st, 1776. Okay? The date, some say the date on the back of the $1 bill, 1776. Uh, is not a reference to the birth of America, but a reference to the birth of the Illuminati. But the the symbol for the Bavarian Illuminati, which goes all the way back to 1776, is, of course, the great owl. Uh, you have uh, rap stars, singers, who have uh, owl imagery tattooed under their body. Here's Drake. Drake has an owl on his back, on his right Uh, shoulder blade. Uh, He wears shirts with these great big owls on there. That's basically him, who he is. This is the uh, Minerva owl, uh, the great goddess Minerva, who is represented by uh, these two owls and two lions. She herself has wings, and she also has uh, like the feet of an owl. Well, we have a present-day Minerva, in the form of Madonna, who at the Super Bowl a few, a few years ago, if you remember, she comes out dressed in this owl adornment. She is she's showing America that now she can come out in this owl effigy dress because the Son of Man just isn't there anymore. I remember a day when the halftime shows at football games were for marching bands. But those have all died away and now they're rock and roll festivals and occult rituals and uh, wardrobe malfunctions and stupid stuff like that there was a movie that absolutely epitomized um, this concept of the owl and the gray alien. It was called The Fourth Kind. The Fourth Kind being a reference to the different types of alien manifestations. And The Fourth Kind is an alien um, stealing or an alien abducting a human being, doing tests on it, putting it back in its bed or whatever, And in this movie, there was a lot of people that were freaking out. 
they were having dreams and so on, that they were seeing owls staring at them into their, in their bedroom and so on, but then come to find out that these owls were actually uh, gray aliens, and there's the symbolism from the movie. Now, let me close with this. If you happen to be watching this, and believe it or not, I have, I've had people from all over the place send me their stories of how owls seem to be popping up in weird places. And in some cases, they're not normal owls. In some cases, they're like four feet tall. Owls don't grow to be four feet tall. If you happen to be someone that maybe you're seeing owls in an abnormal way. I know a pastor who uh, was talking to his wife about UFOs and his wife just really wasn't uh, you know, into it. She wasn't buying the whole UFO thing, but he knew what the Bible said and he was trying to tell her about some things that the Bible said and she just really didn't believe it. All of a sudden, they look out their window, it's at night, and their house is completely surrounded with owls. She's like, well, maybe, okay, there's something to this. I want to go back to uh, Isaiah 34 for something that might help you. If you find yourself, and there just seems to be a lot of owl sightings around you, maybe it's not an accident. Maybe right now what God is trying to tell you is, since Christ isn't apparent in your life, since Christ really isn't somebody that you think of every day and you live for, God may be turning you over to these evil beasts. In Micah 1.8, he said, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. Owls like death, and so do dragons. They live in the shadow of death. But getting back to Isaiah 34, where it talks about how the owls will be there and they'll build a nest, there's something else I wanted to show you from there. Isaiah 34:15. There shall the great owl make her nest and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. And there shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. In other words, they increase their numbers the longer you go on. There's an antidote to that. The very next verse says, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. So if the owls and the vultures can get together and mate and increase their presence, God says, if you'll read the Word of God, and you say, well, I don't, I just, there's parts I don't understand. You know what he's saying? Seek yet the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. That let's say that you're reading uh, here in Exodus about the Passover, and you're not sure what it all means, but then you start reading the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John, and you understand then that the Passover lamb is Christ. The blood was his blood atoning for mankind's sin and so that when God sees the blood the curse that God has passed upon all man shall not fall upon you that's what you'll get when you'll read 
part of the Old Testament, part of the New Testament. No one of these shall fail and none shall want her mate. And all of a sudden now, God is adding to your knowledge of salvation and Jesus Christ and preparing you for the day of his return. My question to you is today, what spirits surround you? What spirits inhabit the palace of your life? If it's owls and vultures and dragons, that's another thing. Dungeons and Dragons has made a big comeback now. Now there's dragons everywhere and our children, our children are feeding constantly on dragon books and dragon comic books and dragon movies. But they don't know anything about the Word of God. What is that that to say about their future? Anyway, I just want to encourage you. Get your Bible out and read it. And when you don't understand it, go read something else. Eventually, God will put things together for you and you'll know what it says. But you'll also have noticed that just in reading it, the devils are leaving because they can't stand in the presence of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. This is Pastor Mike. I love you very much. You're the reason why I do what I do. I want you both to be filled with the Word of God and to be saved by God's goodness. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm asking you today to call upon the name of the Lord. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.